0: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking details of an alleged assault on a trail near SFU's Burnaby campus.
1: Frightening for the 19 year old victim who was able to find help at a nearby parking lot. Our Paul Johnson is live now with the details on this. Uh, Paul, RCMP spoke just a short time ago. What do we know about what happened?
2: Sophie, a really disturbing experience for a young SFU student last night. We're told about 8.30, she was out for a walk on one of the many trails they have up there on Burnaby Mountain near the campus. She was just walking and minding her own business when she got approached by a young man who tried to start talking to her. She wasn't interested and kept moving. Apparently, according to her, this guy came up and tried to grab her hand. At which point she was able to flee and get down to a parking lot where there were some other people. Amazingly, apparently he continued to hang around and still try to talk to her before he left. RCMP updated us on this just a short time ago this afternoon.
3: There was nothing inappropriate said. It just seemed out of context for the situation. So we just thought it would be a good time for us to remind the public to be very vigilant uh, when, when you're walking in public. Uh, try not to walk alone. Uh, you know, be, just know, know your surroundings.
2: Okay, so here's the description of the young man they're looking for. We're told he is a South Asian male, 19 to 23 years of age. He's clean-shaven, about 5 feet 9 inches tall. He wears a black turban. And when he left that parking lot up there yesterday, he was in a gray or black four-door Acura. If you think you know or might know who this guy is, RCMP or Crime Stoppers want to hear from you. Back to you, Sophie.
1: All right, thanks for that. Paul Johnson in Burnaby.
0: Now to the latest on a violent carjacking in Burnaby early this morning that was caught on video. The victim, a 19-year-old man, stabbed before the suspects took off in his car. Sarah McDonald has more on what investigators believe led up to the attack.
4: Watch that white sedan on the right side of your screen, parked on a dead-end residential street off Lowheat Highway in Burnaby. Now watch that dark SUV pull up beside it. Multiple suspects swarming that vehicle and its occupants. The beginning of a brazen, violent, and criminal altercation.
3: They dragged the kids out of the car like beat him up and then one kid got stabbed.
4: You can see that struggle ensue moments later, involving an individual on the ground just behind that white retaining wall, likely the 19-year-old man now hospitalized with stab wounds. But not before that white Mazda he was pulled from was apparently stolen by one of his alleged attackers. All of those suspects captured on video still at large.
5: It's always concerning
3: when something like this happens. it was. We believe it to be targeted, so I would tell
5: the public that, that there is no extra risk because of this incident.
3: No risk to the
4: public, but still jarring for witnesses who watched it all unfold. It's pretty traumatizing.
3: <laughs> I've never seen anything like that.
4: This man tending to the victim before first responders.
3: I noticed the one kid was stabbed pretty bad in the left-hand side, so I grabbed a towel out of my trunk and I laid him on the ground and I put pressure on it.
4: The victim's injuries are not considered life-threatening. His companion inside that vehicle unharmed. The focus of investigators now turning to this surveillance footage.
3: It was that quick. They pull him out of the car, beat him up, would stab the one kid.
4: And these suspects wanted in connection to not only this vicious assault, but also theft. And Burnaby, RCMP, tell us that vehicle has since been recovered, but they're not revealing where it was located. They're now asking for the public's help in tracking down those suspects. Chris, any witnesses or any drivers with dash camera footage are asked to
0: call police. All right, Sarah McDonald in Burnaby. Thanks, Sarah.
1: Police are investigating a serious hit and run that injured two people, one of them seriously. It happened in Saanich early this morning at the intersection of Mackenzie Avenue and Shelburne Street. Police say a blue Dodge Caravan heading east on Mackenzie Avenue struck a Yamaha scooter and a Honda Civic both heading west. The 25-year-old driver of the caravan then uh, crashed into a telephone pole and tried to take off on foot but was later arrested and is now being investigated for impaired driving. The 20-year-old woman on the scooter was taken to hospital in critical condition. The driver of the Honda suffered only minor injuries. It's a terrible, terrible crash and we don't call it an accident
6: because accidents are preventable. Um, This was utterly preventable. The young woman just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. She did absolutely nothing wrong. And yeah, so it's it's a real tragedy.
1: A 26 year old man is now facing a charge of second degree murder in connection with a homicide back in February. The integrated homicide investigation team announced today that P. Lee Pai is charged in the killing of 68 year old T. Bohr. Investigators say Bohr was found suffering from injuries consistent with foul play inside a Surrey apartment complex near 133rd Street and 105th Avenue. He later died in hospital. Investigators say Pai doesn't have a previous criminal record, but has been the subject of a number of negative interactions with police in the past. They do not believe this was a random attack.
0: The murder trial of Andrew Barry continued today with compelling testimony from a witness. Barry is accused of killing his two young daughters on Christmas Day 2017. Court heard from a neighbor who says he befriended Barry and ended up helping him in an unexpected way. Ramina Dea was there and has this report.
7: Timo Musgrove testified the accused Andrew Barry told him he was fighting for custody of his two girls and he was worried he was going to lose them adding his demeanor was nervous anxious and angry for example at one point social services was called by Barry's ex something to do with him inappropriately touching his daughters which I personally do not believe to be true in any shape or form Barry said he didn't do it. All allegations of abuse pertaining to Barry's daughters Four-year-old Aubrey and six-year-old Chloe were investigated by police and the ministry and deemed unfounded. Musgrove said he'd see the girls playing in the hallway and from across the hall, you could hear them saying, I don't want to go back to moms. Musgrove testified Barry asked for help in July 2017. So he let Barry use his bank accounts to transfer money because the accused told him he was worried his wife would have access to the funds. Barry's sister, an RCMP officer who cannot be named because of a publication ban, transferred more than $22,000 to Musgrove, who deposited most of the money to PlayNow.com, a BCLC gambling site on behalf of Barry. Musgrove told the jury he thought the money was going to pay for food and bills. Musgrove testified he didn't think he was doing anything wrong. He said Barry would pay him
1: $40 here and there for helping with the transactions. Romina Dea, Global News. A disturbing discovery in northern B.C., the SPCA is now caring for nine cats and kittens found in storage bins left outside on a vacant property. Officials say the cats had been without food and water for days. Their fur was matted and covered in feces and urine. Despite everything they've been through, officials say all of the cats are vocal and friendly. It's not known who's responsible for this act of cruelty.
0: There is now a new investigation into suspended Sergeant at Arms Gary Lenz. Lenz recently cleared of allegations made during the spending scandal at the B.C. legislature, but now Speaker Darrell Plekis has commissioned a new investigation. Keith
8: Baldry joins us with more on this. Keith, what's going on now? Good question, Chris. I talked to both uh, the opposition and government house leaders today. They're being fairly closed-lipped, closed-mouthed about this. They don't want to give a lot of details. It is a personnel matter. It's a human resources investigation. They brought in a former head of security at TransLink to conduct the investigation. He does have a police uh, background. Gary Lenz, of course, the subject of allegations from the Speaker himself. Uh, We don't know who brought uh, the subject of the complaint. It was actually brought by the Speaker's aide, Alan Mullen, uh, who, under the Police Act, the Speaker has the power to launch this type of investigation. So it's a human resources issue. It's not a criminal thing. That special prosecutor investigation is ongoing as well. So this strange case uh, just got a little stranger, Chris. To add to the intrigue, we
0: hear now there's a further twist to the spending scandal that involves the Speaker's office itself.
8: Yeah, this is a letter Mary Polak, the opposition House leader, is sent to the Speaker asking that information has to be provided uh, publicly from the Speaker's aide, Alan Mullen, who right now is in the midst of a cross-country trip in Canada and the United States, ostensibly uh, some sort of fact-finding mission on various security uh, operations at various jurisdictions. But rules, strict rules, govern the travel of public servants, Chris. Mary Polak asking questions about does he have an itinerary? How much is this going to cost? the taxpayers? Is there any checks or balances on his travels? And will he provide receipts and per diems receipts at the end of the day? So when Mr. Mullen returns from that trip, we ex- don't exactly know what he's uh, going to be doing. He's going to be facing some tough questions from Mary Polak and from Mike Farmer, the government house leader as well. Sounds like it. All right, Keith, thanks very much.
1: An Okanagan woman is fighting to stay in Canada as she faces deportation to her home country of South Africa. As Shelby Tom reports, Leah Thorne is making a desperate appeal, fearing for her life if she's forced to return. If somebody
3: can just help me, please, because I don't know what to do anymore.
9: Leah Thorne spends her days refinishing aircraft at this shop in Penticton, but she may soon be forced on a plane herself. It's been hell, right? it's been hell. Leah is fighting to stay in Canada. Six years ago, she traveled to this country from her home in South Africa on a visitor visa. She fell in love with the Okanagan and her partner, Walter.
3: I just don't want her to go. See, I love her very much for her stuff that, and it's, it's kind of, it's scary to think that she'd have to go back forever.
9: Leah says she was the victim of sexual violence in South Africa and fears for her life if she were to return.
4: I was raped in 1987, right? I don't know who my perpetrator is because I was unconscious.
9: She filed for refugee protection and last June her claim was accepted. I find that the claimant has more than a mere possibility of being sexually assaulted in South Africa, says the Refugee Protection Division. But the glimmer of hope to stay in the Okanagan was quickly shattered. Last week, Leah learned the government successfully appealed and her refugee status quashed. I find the respondent has not established a profile that demonstrates that she would be singled out for persecution on the basis of her race or gender, or that she would not be protected by the state, says the Refugee Appeal Division.
4: I've been nothing, just crying,
9: right? Leah is not alone. When you look at refugee protection claims against South Africa, only seven claimants were accepted by Canada as refugees in 2018 and four the year prior.
2: One of the factors in a refugee claim is that a person is expected to move to another part of their own country where they can be safe before they seek for the protection of another country like Canada.
9: This B.C. immigration lawyer isn't connected to the case, but says successful claims are low because South Africa is perceived as a stable democracy where there is state protection.
2: People can go to the police or to the courts or to other Uh, government authorities to get protection uh, if they're facing persecution.
9: While it may be an uphill battle, Leah isn't willing to give up. She plans to file an appeal in federal court. I will
5: fight until I have no breath left.
1: Shelby Tom, Global News. Right now, though, it's a struggle many smaller cities face across Metro Vancouver, offering residents affordable housing and an opportunity to work close to home.
0: Right now, Port Moody is wrestling with that challenge of being a place where residents can do both. Ted Chernecki explains why now the acting mayor says it's do
10: or die time. Port Moody has a big problem. Every weekday morning, nine out of every ten workers in the labor force leaves town for a job somewhere else. They pour out of the city either via the new Evergreen extension or by road or by the West Coast Express line.
3: It would be more typical for a city to have about 45% of their um, They're workers working in the city. But when you get down to 9, uh, 10, 11 out of 12, you know, 12 12, uh, cars driving out of town every day, um, that's devastating to your local daytime economy.
10: Port Moody is already the classic bedroom community with developers reluctant to build anything other than lucrative condo towers. But tomorrow, council is going to be asked to zone a three-block area around the old CP rail station to be ready for any developer who wants to build a
3: high-tech hub. I just want to make sure that the city is, is crisp and clear about the imperative here to save the future of the city from becoming a bedroom community. And, and that takes a new dialogue with developers uh, in which a tech hubs a central part of the story.
10: Of course, Port Moody isn't alone. Many outlying communities in the Fraser Valley are seeking the same high-tech, high-paying jobs. Urban planners say it's all about offering exactly what high-tech companies want.
2: High-speed reliable internet as well as the physical connections to these major job centres, to the airport, and I think that it's it's that collection of goods that begin to attract the employers as opposed to directly trying to pick the right employer.
10: Port Moody does have robust public transit now. It has high-speed fiber optic data lines nearby. But the acting mayor says if council doesn't change its official community plan in a significant way, Port Moody is destined to be only a bedroom community with ever-rising property taxes.
3: Just more heads and not nearly enough good jobs is going to be a killer for the city in the long run. That's your local news.
10: Starting
0: today, new air travel rules come into effect that are supposed to protect Canadians on all flights to, from and within Canada.
1: And Drua is here with what you need to know and reaction from critics who say the new laws don't go quite far enough. And mm,
11: Some airline advocates not very happy with these new rules. Thanks, Sophie. The new rules come into effect in two stages and require that passengers be informed of their rights in a timely, clear, and accessible way. Beginning today, airlines will have to provide compensation of up to $2,400 for bumping a passenger for situations within the airline's control. Compensation of up to 2400 must also be provided for lost or damaged baggage, along with a refund of any baggage fees. The new rules also ensure that passengers receive standards of treatment during all tarmac delays. They also allow them to leave the plane when it is safe to do so, if a tarmac delay lasts for more than three hours and there is no prospect of an imminent takeoff. But passenger rights advocates argue that's too much time on the tarmac.
5: Perhaps the most troubling part is that passengers should be expecting to be kept on the tarmac for longer. Under the new rules, an airline can keep you on a tarmac for three hours and 45 minutes before you can get off the plane. We have here a uh, um, set of rules that actually uh, is airline friendly and makes things worse for passengers. So um, what we need to do is A, Enshrine in the legislation the 90-minute tarmac delay, and b, ensure that Canada follows the European Union's gold standard for air passenger rights. The European Union has been implementing their uh, air passenger regulations since 2004, has been working for about 15 years, has been working very well.
11: And airlines aren't happy about the new rules either. Air Canada and Porter Airlines are among the carriers asking the Federal Court of Appeal to quash the new passenger rights rules, claiming they violate international standards. The remaining rules become law on December 15th and will address how much an airline must pay travelers for delayed or canceled flights. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters@globalnews.ca.
1: All right. Thanks very much for that, Anne. A rare behind-the-scenes look tonight at the special unit of the Vancouver Police Department that investigates fatal car crashes.
0: That's right. Squire Barnes shows us the high-tech equipment that they use to help determine what happened and why a little
12: understanding from the public can go a long way. These numbers represent everyone who has lost their life to a motor vehicle crash in Vancouver this year. And it's a job of the Collision Investigations Unit to figure out what and who caused these tragedies. Because to them,
13: these are not accidents. An accident suggests that it's unavoidable. And in the crashes that we go to, they're all avoidable.
12: Investigating collisions is more than just looking at the condition of a car.
13: Directions of travel, points of impact, the debris field, we'll look for gouge marks in the asphalt. If a pedestrian has been involved, we're looking for pieces of clothing. We're looking for something as small as maybe a scuff mark from a shoe.
12: And because what they're looking at is so intricate, there's nothing worse for an investigator than arriving at the scene of a crash and finding bystanders
13: helping to clean up the street. Uh, that can be really problematic for us because we want to make sure that uh, that we know exactly where everything was at the time of the crash. And if they move pieces of evidence, uh, that evidence is gone forever.
12: Investigators will also use equipment to measure angles and distance.
13: And at a typical crashing, we'll do anywhere between 100 and 300 measurements. Um, and then from that, draw a scale diagram, which we can use back at the office. Another big piece of
12: information can be provided by this the airbag control module, your car's black box, if you like.
13: When the airbags deploy, this little box captures. last five seconds of of what happened before impact. So it tells us everything from from speeds to uh, engine throttle to braking. When we plug into this we actually generate a report that's 28 to 35 pages long and it provides a whole bunch of of data that, that helps our investigators.
12: Because of these techniques, most of the time investigators figure out what happened. But their investigations also show that the biggest reason for fatal or serious crashes Is speed.
13: So, you know, 70, 80, people start going to hospital. 90, people start going to the morgue, unfortunately. Um, It's very, very rare to see a collision when cars are are traveling at or around the speed limit that people don't just walk away if they're wearing their seatbelts.
1: Dock workers in Indonesia run for their lives as a huge container ship crashes into a gantry crane. The crane comes down just a few feet away from one worker who just barely avoids being crushed. But the freighter keeps going on a collision course with a smaller ship. <laughs> the crew of that ship jumped off just in time and then watching from the dock as the container ship rams their vessel as well remarkably only one person was injured
0: two bc animal rights organizations are condemning the deaths of six horses at this year's calgary stampede and calling on canadians to increase pressure on stampede organizers three horses competing during the final chuck wagon races on sunday night were euthanized after an accident bringing to six the number of horses to die this year the group Animal Justice is calling for animal cruelty charges to be laid. And the Vancouver Humane Society and BCSPCA are encouraging Canadians to speak up against the event.
3: We think what needs to happen is that more Canadians who we know are concerned about these horses need to contact the Stampede directly. They need to email the Stampede, write to the Stampede, call their number and let them know how they feel about this.
14: Absolutely horrified. I think this, these animals gave their life for no reason but exploitation. I think it's incumbent to, for the public to let their feelings be known that um, this, it's 2019, this should not be continuing on in this day and age.
0: Animal justice claims more than 100 horses have died at the stampede since the mid-1980s. And it accuses authorities of turning a blind eye to the deaths. Stampede officials say they will review their policies.
1: Donald Trump's Twitter account has Washington, D.C. in an uproar once again after tweets calling for Democratic congresswomen of color to go back to their own countries, even though most were born in the United States.
0: While Republicans are largely silent or supportive, Democrats are uniting against his statements.
14: A united front late today from the freshman Democrats attacked by the president as he fans the flames of racial
7: resentment. This is his plan to pit us against one another. This is a distraction and we should not take the bait.
15: He does not know how to defend his policies. So what he does is attack us personally. And that is what this is all about. I
7: urge House leadership, many of my colleagues, to take action to impeach this lawless
14: president today. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Pressley, and Rashida Tlaib, four outspoken newly elected progressive lawmakers, make up the so-called squad, singled out, though not by name, by the president, who tweeted Sunday they should go back to their home countries, deploying a racist trope meant to marginalize people of color. Only Omar was born elsewhere, in Somalia. All four women are U.S. citizens. These are people that, in my opinion, hate our country. The president, looking to exploit the democratic divide between progressives and moderates, not bothered by the criticism and not backing down, asked at the White House if he's concerned people see his comments as racist and that white nationalists seek common cause.
3: It doesn't concern me because many people agree with me, and all I'm saying... They want to leave, they can leave.
14: GOP leadership silent so far, although at least 17 Republicans have denounced the president's comments.
13: I think those tweets are racist and xenophobic. Uh,
2: They're also inaccurate.
14: Most other Republicans stopping short of calling the remarks racist.
2: What was said and what was tweeted was destructive, uh, was demeaning, uh, was uh, disunifying, and uh, and frankly, it was very wrong.
0: Some terrifying video out of Pennsylvania that's pretty good evidence that life jackets save lives. Oh my God. Oh my
1: God. Horrified witnesses watch as a raft carrying six people goes over a waterfall. Now believe it or not, the four men and two women were all rescued and suffered only cuts and bruises. The park operations manager says they were undoubtedly saved by their life jackets. Apparently, the rafters missed warning signs that said danger beyond this point. Well, in Health Matters
0: tonight, some breaking news of a very rare death from a rabies infection.
1: The health ministry says a B.C. man died in St. Paul's Hospital after coming into contact with a bat on Vancouver Island back in May. The family says he wasn't bitten or scratched, and it took six weeks for the symptoms to appear. It's the first confirmed rabies fatality in B.C. in 16 years. The ministry says anyone who comes into contact with a bat, even if there is no obvious bite or scratch, should wash the area with soap and water and go to a doctor.
0: A Surrey family is dealing with a rare disorder that gives their 16-month-old daughter potentially fatal seizures.
1: As Catherine Urquhart reports, they say they need a specialized service dog that can sense those seizures before they happen. And their only option is to get one from the U.S.
16: What does a
8: lion say?
16: 16-month-old Mila is a joyful little girl. Her smiles... Contagious, but often they're interrupted by a seizure. Six months ago, she was diagnosed with a very rare and devastating form of epilepsy called Dravet syndrome. The seizures can last up to two hours, and they can be fatal. They're life-threatening seizures. These, um, every one of them, is is life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Mila's Dravet syndrome is genetic and incurable, with expected developmental delays. Medications are often ineffective. Yeah. I don't have words for what it's—it's it's how it's impacted us. It's absolutely turned our lives upside down. Every aspect of our life has changed. Every dream that I had for her, I have to really fight for it now. It's really scary every day, um, just not knowing if tomorrow is guaranteed, right? What could help Mila is a service dog trained to predict and manage seizures. Just one agency in Canada trains seizure dogs. It's in Ontario, and Mila's age makes her ineligible.
15: Justin is six years old, and this is his service dog, Snowflake. And she's a seizure alert and mobility dog. The
16: family's best option is to get a service dog in Ohio from the agency for Paws for Ability. Friends are helping to raise the $17,000 U.S. I don't think I can put words to what it would do for us just having another layer of security, um, especially when she's sleeping, and and not even just when she's sleeping, um, especially when she gets older and she just needs a buddy. The potential for Mila to have a catastrophic seizure is constant. Her parents need to monitor her 24-7. A service dog trained to deal with seizures promises to provide at least some relief. Catherine Urquhart, Global
1: News. All right, to some more breaking news for you now. This time out of Nanaimo, where RCMP are looking for a suspect who was seen with a gun in a local shopping mall.
0: The young male was seen in the Woodgrove Center, prompting police to close the mall and evacuate everyone from it. No shots were fired and no one was hurt, but police want to find the youth for obvious reasons. He's described as about 6 feet tall and 160 pounds with brown hair. Last seen wearing a white hat, grey pants and a black jacket. When we get more information, we'll pass it along to you. Right now, though, B.C. sports fishers took to the water off Victoria today not to catch fish, but to protest the fact that they can't keep what they catch, and it's hurting business.
1: As Kylie Stanton reports, the Department of Fisheries still has restrictions on Chinook retention in Juan de Fuca Strait and the Strait of Georgia, even though the anglers say returns are much better than predicted.
0: Yeah, the people are still coming, just hang out, let them come.
1: Jobs are at stake, and their businesses could close.
6: (laughs) But armed with their boats and signs, these anglers are fighting back.
8: Here we are stuck, unable to fish, and it's not fair.
6: Sport fishermen are calling on the federal government to relax the regulations currently in place to allow them to fish for Hatchery Chinook salmon immediately.
3: The rest of uh, the British Columbia South Coast has opened to retention of either one or two Chinook salmon per day as of today, and Juan de Fuca Strait and Southern Georgia Strait still remain at non-retention until the end of July.
6: They claim the low run on Chinook salmon that was expected is not materializing. Instead, a run of between 45 and 50,000 spring and summer Chinook stocks are predicted to return to the Fraser River, what's considered a moderate level of abundance, and the regulations should reflect that.
2: These people have invested like
0: hundreds of thousands of dollars for gear, boats, and they can't fish? For one hatchery fish? The minister needs to take a second sober thought, I believe.
6: Fisheries and Oceans Canada is laying the blame on the barrier caused by the Big Bar landslide, saying it presents a real and present danger for at-risk Fraser Chinook getting upriver to spawn. In a statement, a spokesperson for the minister said, if we do not take action now to ensure as many Fraser Chinook salmon are able to reach their spawning grounds, these runs will face very significant challenges. While these measures are difficult, they are necessary. (laughs) But anglers argue that's only a serious concern upstream of the landslide. It doesn't apply here.
3: The fish that we would like to target here with one hatchery chinook per day are not impacted by the landslide at all.
6: But if the rules don't change, it will be another two weeks before they can get their lines in the water. And at this point, every day counts.
3: We're losing our
8: public fish really quickly and uh, we need to protect it.
6: Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria.
0: Some insane flying skills on display in Hungary at the World Race or at the Air Race World Championships. We'll show you more and tell you how the Canadian competitor did right after the forecast.
1: Yikes. As well, usual, not, Red
0: Bull is involved, involved.
1: I'm not usually afraid of flying, but I think I might be in that case. <laughs> there. All right, Yvonne Shell is in for Christy tonight. Uh, some clouds out there, Yvonne, but that's... That's a time lapse. That's a time lapse, and that's what we saw today. And then we broke out of it. So it took us a bit of time, but we managed
15: to see some sunny breaks out there and a current look at our tower cam and what it looks like. Uh, overlooking English Bay. We do have more cloud cover inching in for tomorrow. We are going to be seeing the return for some rain in the timeline in just a moment. Twenty-three out of the airport, a southwesterly wind at seventeen kilometers per hour. Highs today up to twenty-four, but with the humidex, it was feeling closer to twenty six. The soy today, a warmer spot up to twenty-seven. Now we do we do still have some active weather, most of it across the southern interior, the tops in Okanagan, a few thunderstorms, and for the northeastern corners, the peace. A severe thunderstorm watch is in effect. This thunderstorm is just pushing its way towards the east right now. We're keeping a close eye. We could see very gusty winds, intense rainfall, and the potential to see some hail. The timeline of the rainfall that is going to push in, the north coast will start to see that rain beginning late morning. Most of the south coast tomorrow, a nice, pleasant start for us. It'll be partly cloudy late in the day by the afternoon. Afternoon, risk of a thunderstorm will be for the Columbia and the southeastern areas. And then as we approach overnight and in towards our Wednesday morning. That's We'll see some wet conditions across the south coast. It will be heaviest for the morning hours and then tapering off as we get in towards the evening. So it's really Wednesday morning and then drier as we get in towards tonight. the night. Here's a look. 5 and up to 15 millimetres for most areas along the south coast. The north shore could see up to 20 and coastal sections tomorrow. So rain and heavy at times. The southern half, it's really the Colombian Kootenai with the instability. And we've got cloud cover inching in by the evening hours. The blip in the forecast will be our Wednesday with rain. Rainfall and heavy at times at 21 degrees. Tonight's weather window, a great shot that was taken in 100 Mile House from Janine. Guys?
0: Giddy up. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Well, it's awfully fun to watch, but like Sophie said, you probably wouldn't want to be in one of these airplanes.
1: Some of the most skilled pilots in the world competing in the Red Bull Air Race World Championships in Hungary. This is Canadian Pete McLeod flying as fast as he can through a series of giant inflated gates. The runs are timed with pilots penalized if they hit a gate or even slightly clip it. The winner was Australian Matt Hall with McLeod coming in third. They are now off to the final race in Japan.
0: BC Lions. We have to talk about the BC Lions.
17: Well, here's the thing right now. The sports market in our city, Lions, Whitecaps, Vancouver Canadians. It's not good. It's not. He said it first. (laughs) We'll get to it right now. Speak of the truth, man. We we are speaking the truth. Hey, the uh, BC Lions might want to queue up some Elvis Presley because even though we're only five games into the CFL season, it truly is now or never. Lions have fallen to one and four in that desired playoff spot they so dearly want might be out of reach sooner than later if they keep going the way that they are. BC's in Regina on Saturday. It's the first of what's now crucial back-to-back games against the Riders. Both Saskatchewan and BC are underperforming. A sweep, though, by the Lions would be ideal. would send them into the bye week three and four.
13: I mean, we've got we to start winning, you know. It's, uh, the first game, the second game, was like, oh, okay, guys, it's a long season. We're going to be okay. Well, now we're getting into week six. We're starting to push into that second, third of the season. It's it's too late to start saying it's a long season. We'll get it next game. We got to start putting it together now.
17: If it looks and feels like the roof is caving in on the BC Lions, that's because it is. Mike Riley has been sacked a league-leading 17 times. BC's scored the second fewest points of any CFL team, have allowed the third most points, and not to be piling on here. But the Lions have earned their 1-4 record. 1-4, i got to ask you, what troubles you the most about this football team right now, the way that you've played and what you haven't done?
18: Um, we just haven't played together. Um, we haven't played with confidence,
2: and we had not faced adversity well together. We have to be able to have each other's back when times get tough, and when times get tough, we kind of... I ain't going to say
17: we kind of turn on each other, but we're not together as we should be. Does it still bother you that the message isn't getting through or that the same mistakes are being made?
18: Well, I mean, it's one of those where you you have to decide on is it the way the message is being relayed, or is it the person that's taking taking heed to the message? So you have to understand that aspect. So that mean, and that's what we have to decipher to as a staff and as an organization. Do we have do we have the people that can understand and comprehend, or if not, I mean, it's professional football and everybody's accountable to their actions and that type of thing. So we understand that as well, and that's how we're visiting it.
17: Reading right between the lines, that translates into serious changes could be forthcoming if BC loses in Regina on the weekend. The Riders are also flailing along with just a single win. BC and Saskatchewan are going to play back-to-back games, and neither team has beaten a Western opponent this season. Hard to believe that a mid-July football game has huge playoff ramifications attached to it for both teams.
13: Sometimes guys try to save things for the next time you play that because it's a back-to-back. Not in our situation. We're 1-4. We're, we're, we're laying everything on the table from my standpoint. Everything I have is on the table to get into the win column this week.
17: Final major of the golf season on the tee this week at Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland. Phil Mickelson taking to social media today to reaffirm his commitment to winning. Five-time major winner, just won one top 20 finish, by the way, since he won Pebble Beach back in February. Phil has taken drastic action to get himself and his game in shape for the Open Championship.
5: Hey, everyone, let's get real for a few minutes. I haven't posted anything because I haven't felt good about myself and the way I've been playing and so I haven't done anything or wanted to be in public. The last 10 days I've done what I call a hard reset to change and try to make things better. I have lost 15 pounds, I've done a six day fast with water and a special coffee blend for wellness that I've been working on with Dave Phillips and went on a bit of a retreat. I'm here in Ireland now, a beautiful place, getting ready for the British Open. I don't know if it's going to help me play better or not, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to try to get my best back. I'll have more fireside chats and some funny things in the future, but for now, let's keep it real.
17: We're going to keep it real. UBC men's hockey team is hosting one of the premier NCAA hockey programs, Come the end of August, T-Birds are welcoming the Wisconsin Badgers to Vancouver for a pair of exhibition games. The Badgers are coached by Tony Granado. They also have top NHL prospects Alex Turcott and Cole Caulfield on the team. Wisconsin with 12 Frozen Four appearances and six national championships. <laughs> Stage 10 of the Tour de France. It was not Sophie in Penticton yesterday. 217.5-kilometer ride through southwestern France. It was an interesting day stage day. on a few fronts. Cross-world uh, winds cost the main pelton okay, to stretch LeBourne like three times, but back. what a finish. Well, Bernard in yellow, Viviani in blue. It is Philipson in white. Viviani, well, Bernard Viviani. What Van Ertz propelling himself across the finish line, the last second lunge, winning him stage 10 today. They needed a photo finish to confirm that he just edges out Italy's Lele Viviani. First across the line in 4 hours, 49 minutes, 39 seconds. Julian Felipe retaining the yellow jersey. Did you ride just as far in Penticton?
1: <laughs> <laughs> in my brain. Yeah.
17: <laughs> Well, in
0: case you hadn't heard, there's a big anniversary coming up this weekend. Saturday marks 50 years since the first moon landing.
1: All this week, Global will look at the Canadian contribution to the Apollo 11 mission. Tonight, Mike Armstrong looks at the critical role played by a Quebec company.
18: They've been making landing gear at Erudev Tech in Longueuil, Quebec, since the 1940s. When it comes to airplanes, you name it, they've done it. But when Neil Armstrong stepped off the lunar lander in 1969, he was stepping off a ladder attached to landing gear made by Eru DevTech machinists. The lander was designed by an American company, Grumman, based in New York. Well, it had some trouble finding a company that could do what it needed and it had a relationship with Eru. Grumman reached across the border and Eru jumped at the chance to be a part of history. The legs were milled out of blocks of an aluminum alloy supplied by NASA.
10: We had never used that before, and we've never used it after. And even meteorologists today, I mean, never saw that.
18: We met one of the retired inspectors who worked on the legs back in the mid-60s. He was responsible for ensuring the pieces met the exact specifications. An interesting little side note, he says he wasn't told at the time that the parts were destined for the moon, but he says that's okay because if he had been told, he probably wouldn't have believed it anyway. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Ottawa.
0: Hmm. What a celebration. Never knew. When it rolls around. I didn't know
1: that either. We gave him a leg up.
0: Sure did. (laughs) (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs)
1: Totally intended.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay, Yvonne, uh, last word before we go here on the weather.
15: Okay, get out and enjoy tomorrow. Through the day, it should remain dry. We'll actually see some sunshine. But then it's late Tuesday and in towards our Wednesday morning. A soggy one for us, a little bit cold. But Wednesday is just the blip in the forecast.
0: All right, thanks very much. And thank you for watching. Have a great evening.
1: Good night, all.